Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast, a podcast that is exploring what two knucklehead pastors are learning in the trenches of church revitalization. But today you only have one of us because Kyle is headed to Disneyland to graduate. We're proud of him and the work that he did to get his uh, D-men from Rockbridge. Still don't quite know what his dissertation was about. Uh, but nevertheless, we're excited for him and his family and uh, are proud of the work that he has done. And uh, so to pick up the slack, uh, we called in the big guns today. Uh, Philip Bethencourt of the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberties, uh, I just lost my train of thought, Commission, Conference, what is it, Philip? Commission. Commission, that's what I thought. Uh, Philip Bethencourt from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And uh, y'all might remember Kyle Bierman standing before thousands of people at the SBC 18 in Dallas and stood up to ask Dr. Russell Moore a question and uh, waxed eloquently on all sorts of things and did everything except ask a question. And so we brought uh, Philip to the show today, or I brought Philip to the show today to discuss becoming a church that cares well for the abused in the ERLC upcoming conference, uh, their national conference, in fact, called Caring Well, Equipping Churches to Confront the Abuse Crisis. We're grateful for Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary who makes this possible and uh, encourage you to check out swibbits.edu after the show to learn about a fantastic seminary that is training up knuckleheads like Matt Hensley to become preachers that God has called us to be. And so Philip, enough of all of that. Can you tell us who you are and maybe a little bit about your family and what you do at the ERLC? Sure, I'm glad to be the guest knucklehead for the day. It's great to be with <laughs> you, Matt. Uh, I'm a Texan living in exile in Nashville, Tennessee, and I serve at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. I've been there for six years. Prior to that, I was up at Southern Seminary teaching systematic theology and leading our enrollment management team and working really closely with Russell Moore. And so when he uh, got called down to Nashville to lead the ERLC back in 2013, I joined him in the role of executive vice president where I functioned like an executive pastor at a church or, or a COO at a company leading the team and the strategy as we're pursuing our mission to equip Christians to apply the gospel to every aspect of life. Now, I met my wife, Cami at Texas A&M. We both graduated from there and we're raising four boys. And right now, Matt, I'm a hero with all of them because we're down in Texas. And earlier today, we just got a chance to visit the Bluebell Ice Cream Factory, see where God's goodness is made and enjoy some free samples. And so I, I'm a hero right now amongst my family. Wonderful. We've we've got four daughters and both of us are Texan exiles. Uh, we call ourselves foreign missionaries to New Mexico. Oh, there you go. Right. Uh, Kyle is down in Alamogordo. And, and as I said, he's on his way to California right now. And I'm in uh, May Hill, which you have no idea where either one of those two places probably are. Uh, but I'm in the mountains close to God and he's in the desert close to the devil. And uh, <laughs> we both have kids. And I shared with you before we came on. Uh, this topic hits very close to home for me with the background of four of our daughters and how they came to us through the foster care uh, situation. And so let's jump right on in. We're glad to have a Texan on uh, the show uh, because, of course, we are better and uh, and smarter and bigger than anybody else, at least bigger. more humble, more humble, too, more humble. too. Yes, we are as humble as they come. You know, we, we were you know, basically my. Uh, 
the the book Humility was written about us, I'm sure. But uh, anyway, let, let's jump right in because the the important question for us is: Is our church or are our churches prepared to care for individuals who have experienced various forms of abuse? And uh, and that's an important question because all of us are pastors, and it's easy for us to want to stick our heads in the sand and assume that that's going to happen at another church, that's going to happen at a mega church or, or whatever. But as we have learned over the last couple of weeks and months and really a year or so, uh, that this has really hit home in the Southern Baptist Convention. We shared a lot about that on our SBC 19 recap. Uh, and, and so the question really remains is, are our churches prepared to care for individuals who have experienced various forms of abuse? And, and I think the first answer to that is probably not. Uh, how, how might we go to, to prepare our churches to handle the various types of abuse we might encounter as pastors. Yeah, when you think about the question, are our churches prepared? That's gonna be a question that's answered in different ways from church to church. In the same way, if you ask me, is every church in the SBC prepared to engage in international missions or to care for uh, those in poverty in their community? Or are there people equipped to share the gospel and personal evangelism? You couldn't give a uniform answer that's uh, equivalent across the board from every church. And so each church is in a different stage. And what I'm so grateful for is that we're having a conversation now in the Southern Baptist Convention about the issue of abuse because people recognize no matter where they are, they need to be looking at where they need to be and where they're going. And that's one of the things that's been so important to our work at the ERLC as we're partnering with the Sexual Abuse Advisory Group is to think through how do we equip churches to navigate this challenge and do all they can to ensure that their churches are being safe for survivors and safe from abuse. Yeah, and uh, and so what what kind of started this whole thing? What what really prompted this resource? How did you go about uh, putting this whole thing together? Why was this brought on our radar in the first place? Well, we're having this conversation now because we haven't been having this conversation before. Uh, this has been an issue we've been aware of. We all watched the Catholic Church crisis wouldn't relate to abuse unfold over the last 20 years. And for some, there was solace taken from, well, at least that's not us. We're different than them. When in reality, whether it's the Houston Chronicles reporting from back in February or other instances that have become come to light even more recently, even since the Southern Baptist Convention in Birmingham, we know that this is an issue that Southern Baptists need to confront. And I'm really grateful we're having that conversation, not just because of the overall numbers, but because of the stories they represent. One of the things that we did at in Birmingham at the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting was host a Monday night event on sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. And there were a lot of familiar names on stage, J.D. Greer, Russell Moore, Beth Moore, Rachel Den Hollander, but the one that nobody knew was a lady named Susan Cadoni, who for the first time publicly shared her story of abuse that happened right there in the Birmingham area 35 years ago. Uh, she was a teenager in her church. The youth pastor began an abusive relationship with her. When she finally got the courage to go and confide in her pastor about that abuse, uh, the pastor did not respond with care and concern. Instead, he, he ran off the youth pastor and then picked up where he left off in an abusive relationship with her that continued until he was caught in an affair with her Sunday school teacher and run out of town. And at every step of the way, that church failed to care well for her. And the most troubling thing 
in my estimation, Matt, which is far too common in Southern Baptist life, as that pastor and youth pastor continued to serve in Southern Baptist churches for several decades after that abuse occurred. And so while I'm discouraged by the stories that are being unearthed, I'm encouraged by the fact that we're having this conversation because having the conversation is the first step to change. And, and I agree with that. And we, I guess, shortly after we launched this podcast, uh, there was the church shooting at Sutherland Springs. Right. And, uh, and, and so a completely different topic, but a very similar thing is that many people just did not think that that could happen here. And so it finally hit home and it finally woke up some people was one of our highest uh, downloaded episodes is still being downloaded because we we kind of took the time to walk through some of the best practices in terms of protecting your churches from uh, shooting uh, active shooters and and so forth and and this is to be very honest when we recorded that uh, while all of this stuff is is still happening behind the scenes this was not remotely on our radar it took some of the reporters and and if you want to call it you know the hashtag me too uh, movement or whatever to really open our eyes to this need uh, that very well could happen at any of our churches and so in our case you know there were certain protocols that we were already practicing in terms of the background checks and so forth but it also tied into who was going to have access to the kids what where were they going to be where were the locks going to be all of the different things that this forced us to finally have that conversation as a church. And of course, as soon as I brought it up, you know, it's the same thing every time. Well, that that's not going to happen here. You know, we we trust one another and so forth. And, and it only takes one time, one kind of missed opportunity to to be among those statistics. And while we would hope that it wouldn't happen in our churches, we've learned now that it could happen anywhere. And so we have to be on guard uh, to right subtly highlight one of my favorite books that I can't pronounce the guy's name, but On Guard, uh, and we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, but, uh, but one of the things that I wanna ask is in terms of this book, Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused, as I said, our, our deacons are going to be walking uh, through this together. And uh, this is a resource, it's a handbook, we can walk through it. I saw the, the little that I have been able to work through, a lot of information for, for folks to to be able to really be honest with themselves. Are we truly being a church that cares well? And so why is this needed in our churches? Well, when you think about abuse, there's really three dimensions we wanna help every church be equipped on. The first is awareness. Do your people understand what abuse is? What are the causes? How does it occur? What does the Bible have to say about it? Then there's the issue of prevention. What can we do to be on guard to prevent abuse before it occurs, put up the safeguards in our churches and communities, protect the vulnerable before they're at risk of abuse. And then that third category is care. And that's what the Becoming a Church that Cares Well for the Abuse curriculum is all about. How do we equip churches to respond with compassion and care well for victims of abuse when they disclose that, either whether it's a recent occurrence or something in the past. And what I love about this resource is our sexual abuse advisor group tapped a team of 10 leading experts in a variety of areas from social workers to counselors to people that deal with domestic violence and a host of other issues to produce a video-based curriculum for church leaders 
that's uh, tw that's 12 sessions, 20 minutes in length. It's available in English. It's also available in Spanish subtitles. And as you mentioned, there's a companion handbook that goes along with it that'll also be in Spanish soon as well, totally for free. Thanks to our friends at Lifeway for partnering with us in order to make that available where what can happen is that the key leaders in a church can go through this video-based curriculum and the handbook together and think through the different dynamics of what it looks like to care well for abuse survivors. You know, both of us are parents of four kids and you know what it's like whenever a child comes to you with a question that you weren't prepared to have to deal with. Sometimes it's just fun, silly things. Other times it's the common things like where do babies come from? And then other times it's you just can't anticipate what they might ask. But had you known before the question came, you would have been better equipped to address it in the moment. And the same is true when it comes to handling abuse. And what we're what our contention is that if church leaders are proactive in thinking through their strategy for care before disclosures occur, then once those take place, they're going to be better able to care well for those survivors and ensure they're doing all they can uh, to not only protect them if there's an ongoing threat of abuse in their midst, but also to care for their wounds and for their soul in the midst of that trauma that they're experiencing. Yeah, and you know, in the in in one of the conversations I think that I've I've heard either online or or at the the panel that we were able to go to that you mentioned earlier is at, at times our first gut response is what is this going to do to our church? Uh, what 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 is this going to do to our reputation in the community? What is going to happen to, you know, are we going to lose numbers? You know, all the different things that, that then we start to go on guard with how can we protect and care for our church instead of our people in our flock in, in part of caring for our church as pastors <laughs> is to care as a shepherd for our people. We've shared before on our uh, sexual abuse episode about the first step isn't to you know, start all of the damage control, you know, how to, you know, either spin it or, or things like that. That should be the furthest thing from your mind. Actually, it shouldn't even be on your, your mind, but you need to be calling the, you know, the police. You need to go right into knowing exactly what you're going to do when that allegation surfaces. And, uh, and that's one of the things that I appreciate you guys highlighting is that there's a step that we can follow through that even if, you know, we, you as a dad, you know that we get those random questions, uh, whatever it might be. The other day, the girls got up and, and one of them said, you know what? You said the Trinity yesterday. What is the Trinity? And yeah. uh, I did my best to not be a heretic <laughs> at uh, you know, 6.30 a.m. And that's that's hard to do at 6.30 p.m. Uh, right. with the Trinity. But, but you, know, you never know when that question is going to come. And I was so glad that they answered it or they asked it and that I had the opportunity as their, their dad and also their pastor to walk them through what the Trinity was. But when we do get that question, we need to already know beforehand what our response is going to be to care well, uh, not, not to turn it into a cliche, but to truly care well as a church for those that are hurting. And one of the ways that we can do that, and one of the things that we want to highlight on this episode, is the Caring Well Conference, the uh, 2019 ERLC uh, National Conference. I think uh, this might not be the exhaustive list, but uh, what I have in front of me is Dr. Moore, uh, the other Moore, Beth Moore, uh, Rachel Denhollander, uh, Gary Hagen, Jackie Hill, Perry, and, and many more. It's going to be in Dallas, Texas, of course, and, and uh, we're grateful 
for for another opportunity to maybe head back to the great Republic of Texas. But on the back of the card that we got at the SBC, it challenges us to take the caring well challenge. Uh, before you kind of highlight some of the things that are coming up with the, the conference itself, could you walk us through what those eight things are to, to truly take that care well challenge? Could you walk us through those eight things? Yeah, the sexual advisory group uh, realized, the sexual abuse advisory group realized uh, leading up to the convention that there were so many things that we were bringing out as initiatives from the group that a pastor like you could have felt overwhelmed saying, I want to do something on abuse. Tell me what to do. And we load you up with so many things. It feels unattainable. You don't know where to start. You may not even get going at all. And so what we recognize is that our biggest need is to figure out what could it look like to develop a unified call to action for Southern Baptist churches on abuse. And that's what the caring well challenge is all about. It's eight steps over 12 months for every church in the SBC so that we can do what we can to ensure that our churches are safe for survivors and safe from abuse. As you know, we're not a top-down denomination like the Catholic Church or others where we can mandate things. But what we can do is to create pathways for churches to partner together and say, regardless of where we've been on this issue, let's go through this together and dive in and, and do what we can in the categories of awareness preparation and care. And so those eight steps are the heartbeat of what the challenge is all about. The first one is simple. It's just to commit uh, to being a part of the challenge. And then after that, we challenge each church to build a caring well team. In other words, identify a group of key leaders in your church who you can identify and empower to shepherd your church through the challenge and help each of the following steps occur make sure that it gets the energy and attention that it needs. And then after that's established, and what we're doing is on August 25th or a Sunday near then, we're encouraging every church to have a Caring Well launch Sunday during their Sunday services, where we're asking the church to take five or 10 minutes, maybe your announcements time, your benediction, your offertory, whatever that looks like in your context, and introduce the Caring Well Challenge to your church, highlight your Caring Well team there so that people can put a face with the name of who's leading this and explain why it is that we're going through that. And then coming out of that, uh, in October, we're inviting churches in step four to train. And by, by doing that through the ERLC National Conference on the subject of Caring Well for Abuse. And so that can happen there on site in Dallas, but also we'll be live streaming it all. And so people can catch that online and get the training they need there. So, and those are the foundational elements in the lead up to steps five through eight, where step five is the care dimension, where we're encouraging every church to go through the curriculum you already highlighted, becoming a church that cares well for the abused, and to think through what is our care strategy going to be when abuse disclosures occur. And then on the other side of that, step six is the step to prepare, to review and evaluate and enhance your policies, practices, and procedures as it relates to abuse prevention? Are we doing all that we can to ensure that this doesn't occur in our church or in our community? And then the culminating step in the local church context will be step seven. It's the share step. And what we're encouraging every church to do is the first Sunday in May or a Sunday nearby that that works well for your church to devote the entire Sunday service to the subject of abuse. So pastors like you, Matt, preaching a sermon on abuse. I mean, when, when's the last time a Southern Baptist has heard a pastor address abuse from the pulpit at all, much less dedicate a service, an entire sermon to it? And then beyond that, to highlight what's occurred over the last few months during the challenge in terms of initiatives related to care and preparation 
And to have a culminating moment where the church can see where it's come from and where it's going on this issue. And then we'll bring that all together in Orlando next year in step eight at this SBC annual meeting in 2020, where we'll collectively as a convention do the same thing that so many of our churches did back in May, which is to reflect on what's happened over the course of the past year with the challenge and resolve to continue to address this issue in the future. Yeah, and what, what I really appreciate about this Caring Well Challenge now and in, in what you just highlighted there with uh, the, the annual meeting in June is it's very easy to, to talk about it. And uh, but to jump right in and uh, in this case, go to caringwell.com and begin the process. You can automatically start putting some walking steps with your talk. And uh, because it, it doesn't do us any good if we just talk about it, it's important to talk about it. We have to, but right. we, have to, we have to also press in and, and, and work on our churches and with our people uh, to be able to genuinely care well for our uh, folks. And so that is at caringwell.com. Uh, the Caring Well Conference is going to be October 3rd through the 5th in Dallas, Texas. I shared some of those that will be uh, speaking at it. Is there anything else you'd like to highlight about the conference itself? Uh, we've been blown away by the response that we've gotten to this. We just started working this week on expanding the size of the venue because we had so many people registered during the early bird registration. Super encouraged by that. And it, this was this was a big stretch for my team. Back in April, we started kicking around the idea. We had a fully planned conference on uh, the relationship between Christianity and the public square with 30 plus speakers, a fully uh, set program. And we'd never done this where we scrapped an entire fully planned conference and hit the reset button six months out. But we just said, you know what? This issue is so timely and important for Southern Baptists. Let's flip the whole conference. And we're, we're super encouraged by the way it's shaping up. And what I'm so grateful for when we gather in Dallas, October 3rd through 5th, or whoever's catching it online, what they're going to see and experience is an opportunity to do three things, to listen to survivors. In other words, hear their stories, understand their experiences, but then in addition to that, to learn from experts, people who are specialists on the prevention side or the care side, people that deal with sexual abuse or domestic violence or other types of abuse. They'll get exposure to all of those. And then the third dimension will be to leave equipped, coming out of that after listening to survivors, learning from experts, to be able to go back to your church or ministry context and apply these in those settings. And so one of the things we're encouraging churches to do. And one of the reasons we've seen such a surge in interest in the conference is we're challenging them to bring a team with them. If you're doing the Caring Well Challenge, one of the aspects of that is we're encouraging you to send your entire Caring Well team to be a part of it. But even if you're not, uh, sending key leaders in a variety of areas to come and get trained and equipped over those days, because if they do it collaboratively, they'll get exposed to more of the key ideas that are there and then be able to come back and debrief that and think through how to apply that in their local ministry or church context. So we're really excited to see the way that things are shaping up for October. Awesome. I appreciate it, Philip. And uh, we, uh, we want to encourage you to check out uh, Becoming a Church that Cares Well for the Abused book and the uh, handbook. And uh, that's put out by B&H uh, Publishing, which is a parent company of the CSB, one of our other sponsors that make this possible. We're grateful for and uh, 
translation that blends both readability and accuracy and encourage you to check out csbible.com after the show. We're grateful that Philip took the time to pop in with us and pick up the slack with Kyle being gone. Dr. Kyle uh, Bierman, uh, at, <laughs> at, at this very moment, he'll be officially doctor. And uh, so we're grateful for the time that you took and are glad you're in the great Republic of Texas holding down the fort for us there. And we'll put all of this information in the show notes for you, where you can also find out links for how to follow us on Facebook or on Twitter uh, or our website or how you can subscribe. But we're grateful you took the time to listen in. And as always, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare. Have a great day and God bless.